Hebrews chapter 11, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there with us. Hebrews chapter 11, and we introduced last week a message entitled, Building Blocks of Faith, How to Build an Enduring, Lasting Faith. And we started by asking the question, have you ever wondered why some Christ followers seem to be growing in their relationship with Jesus, while others seem to lose interest and grow stagnant? And we can boil all that down to one word, and that one word is faith. And we understand that a lot of people make decisions for Christ for a lot of different reasons, but every decision made for Christ is not a decision based on life-changing, life-giving faith. Some people make a decision for Jesus that, that quite frankly, they're not born again. Uh, they, they're, they're, they made a decision for whatever reason, emotion, to make a, a spouse happy, to make a parent happy, or maybe they've been coming to church all their life and it's just something that they do. But to build a, an enduring, life-building relationship with Jesus Christ, require, it requires faith. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, without faith it's impossible to please God. I mentioned last week that Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, a little faith will bring your soul to heaven. A great faith will bring heaven to your soul. So when we come to Jesus Christ in faith, in salvation, we're born again, God enrolls us in the school of faith. Life is the classroom. The Bible is our textbook. The apostles and prophets in the Bible are our professors. And Abraham would be the dean. In fact, in Romans 4, 11, Paul calls Abraham the father of all who believe, the father of those who believe. And Hebrews 10, 38, Romans 1, 7, quote Habakkuk, when Habakkuk said, the just shall live by faith. Living by faith is a lifestyle. And we talked about last week, Hebrews 11, 8 to 19. Let's reread our text and we'll do a quick review and then jump into some new territory. Hebrews 11, beginning verse 8. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith, Sarah also herself received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore from one man, and him as good as dead, were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland, and truly, if they had been called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. 
By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, And Isaac, your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. We said last week that this text gives us at least six significant building blocks that we can build on to build a relationship with Jesus Christ based on enduring faith. And that first step is found in verse 8. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called. If we're going to build a lifetime of faith and we're going to build an enduring faith, we need to be able to hear the voice of God. We reviewed in Genesis 12 the call of Abraham. God made promises to Abraham. Abraham was a pagan living in Earth of the Chaldees, which we know today as Iraq. He was 75 years old when God called him. So don't think you've been too bad or you're too old to start living a life of faith. The, the best day to start your life of faith is today. So if you're not doing that, today would be a great way to start. God made four basic promises to Abraham. Number one, he said he would give Abraham a land. Number two, he would make a great nation out of his seed. Number three, through his bloodline, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And then number four, God would bless those who blessed Abraham's seed. He would curse those who cursed him. And we talked about the fact, we compared Genesis 12, 1 through 4, how many times God says, I will. I will make you a great nation. I will, all the earth will be blessed. I will give you a land. We compared that to the folks at the Tower of Babel that said, let us, in, in Genesis 11, let us build a tower to make a name for ourselves. If we're going to hear from God, we've got to get ourselves out of the way so that God can speak, so that we can hear him speak. And then we ask the question, how does God call us? And we talked about the fact that in pre-Bible times, God spoke in various ways. He spoke directly to uh, Abraham, directly to Adam, directly to Noah. We talked about the fact he talked to Moses out of a burning bush. He uh, talked to Balaam through a donkey, of all things. God also spoke through prophets and judges and kings. He spoke to Saul out of a light, and he spoke to Peter in a vision on a rooftop. So God spoke in a lot of different ways at a lot of different times. But Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 tells us, but now God speaks to us through his Son, through the Word of God. 2 Timothy 3, 16 says, All Scripture is inspired of God and is profitable for doctrine, for correction, for reproof, for instruction in righteousness. Why? That the man of God might be perfect or complete, thoroughly furnished, and to all good works. And don't think for a minute that because God spoke directly to Abraham or that God spoke directly to Noah or spoke through a donkey, uh, it would be kind of cool, though, to go feed your cat and, you, and, and cats start talking to you. I guess that would be kind of neat to hear. But don't think that those guys had an advantage over us. Back in their day, to hear from God, you had to wait till God showed up. You had to wait for God to say something. They waited 400 years between Malachi and Matthew. Today, if you want to hear the word of God, if I want to hear the word of God, we open the Bible. And it's there for us 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, seven days a week. It's right there for us at all times. 
And we have the mind of Christ. We have the Holy Spirit in us if we've been born again to help us understand God's Word. When God calls, are we too busy to hear? What does God have to do to get through to us? And we ended last week by saying, if you belong to God, God will get through to you. The question is, what's it going to take? If I'm going to live a life that's faith-based, I must first and foremost be able to distinguish the voice of God, and I have to hear from God, primarily through His Word, and through prayer and reflection and meditation on His Word. But not only must I hear the Word of God, Hebrews 11.8 gives us a second principle, a second building block to an enduring faith, and that is the fact that not only was Abraham called, when God called, Abraham obeyed. It says there in verse 8, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called. And the last sentence of verse 8 says, He went out not knowing where he was going. God called him, told him to take up his family, told him to leave. Abraham didn't know much. He just knew that God called. So he knew it was his job to obey, not ask questions. If you want to build a faith that endures, you must hear from God. And then you must obey what you've heard, whether we fully understand it or not. And I'm going to illustrate this to you by something that happened to me when I got the call to come to Old New Hope. I was pastoring Eagle Creek Baptist Church in Holiday, Tennessee, just the other side of the Tennessee River. And I had only been there three years, and we were just getting started. We had, uh, I felt like we were just getting started. We had a, a good ministry, a good uh, bus ministry with children, and we had a lot going on. But, uh, of course, you all know Anne got leukemia, and uh, she recovered from that the first time, but she never was quite herself, and she never quite had the strength to be able to, she wanted to be involved in church, but she didn't have the strength to, make an hour's ride back and forth to Eagle Creek three days a week. So I got to praying to God and saying, God, if it's your will for me to, to go somewhere else, lay that on my heart and let me be able to do that. And I was talking to Brother Gray, our director of missions at the time, and I was telling him kind of about our situation, and I, and I said, uh, I don't want to leave old, or, or, I don't want to leave Eagle Creek. I feel like we're doing a good work, and God's blessing what we're doing, he said, well, he said, if you feel strongly about Ann being able to be involved and being able to take part, he said, I know a little church in Fairview that I think you'd be a perfect fit for. And that church was on New Hope. It turns out that the year before, Brother Pete and Sister Evelyn came, Brother Gray was holding our revival in, uh, at Eagle Creek, and when Pete and Evelyn were up at their trailer in Camden, they came to the revival every night. And I, got, I met Pete and Evelyn there. And uh, I said, well, I'll, I'll talk to them. So I came and talked to the search committee, and we, we talked, and I agreed to come. And after I agreed to come, the Lord started working on me, and I said, I, I just don't believe I, I'm able to leave Eagle Creek. And so I, uh, I, I called the search committee back and said, I, I don't believe that God's letting me leave right now. I don't have liberty to do that. 
And then, just as plainly as if someone is speaking to me today, I, 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 I just got a piece in my heart that says, where uh, you need to go is Old New Hope. And so, I called the search committee back. They probably got tired from hearing, hearing from me. They're probably thinking, now what does he want? And uh, so, I, I brought the call. And the reason I say that is, when God called me to Old New Hope, he called. And I was willing to go, even though it didn't make a lot of sense to me. And I've never been more sure in my life that I'm right where God's called me to be. And what I'm, why I share that story with you is, sometimes when God calls, we don't have all the answers, do we? We don't know the whys. We don't know the wherefores. We don't know what God has to work out. But he does. And so God calls. It's our job to obey. Quite often when somebody tells me they have a faith problem, after I talk with them a little while, I find out what they've got is an obedience problem. It's not a faith problem. It's an obedience problem. When you've heard from God, you have to obey now, here's a question for you this morning. If you're struggling in your faith a little bit, what have you heard from God that you haven't obeyed? What do you know you need to do, but you, for whatever reason you put off doing? Is there a decision that you need to make and actually make that decision? Is there a confession that you need to make? Is there restitution that you need to perform? Is there a gift that you need to give? Is there a testimony that you need to offer? Is there a place that you need to go? Is there a ministry that you need to be involved in? What is it that God has called you to do that you haven't been obedient to? If you feel you're having a faith problem, you're probably having an obedience problem. And it really is summed up well in the words of an old gospel song. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. So to build a life of faith and to have a life of enduring faith, first we have to hear God's call. Secondly, we have to obey. Verse three or verse nine tells us a third principle. By faith Abraham dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. We also, if we're going to live a life of faith, have to learn how to establish proper priorities. We need to be able to build and establish priorities. Notice it says in verse 9 that Abraham lived in a tent. Can I tell you that even though Abraham lived in a tent, he didn't drive the tent pegs too deeply? He was ready to take the next step. The reason so many Christians don't have an enduring faith is because we have flawed priorities. We've become too attached to this world. We need to remember, as Paul reminds us in Philippians 3.20, as Christ followers, we're first and foremost citizens of heaven. James 4.4 4 says that for Christ followers, friendship is in, with the world is adultery. That seems like strong language. But when you understand what the world can do to the faith of a Christian and to the walk of a Christian, you understand what 
these Bible writers were saying, what God is trying to tell us through these folks. A person who becomes too close a friend to the world is going to start living like the world. And before long, they'll be conformed to the world. Keep your finger in Hebrews 11 and look at Genesis chapter 11. We have a perfect illustration as to how people and their mixed up priorities work sometimes. Genesis 11. And to set the stage here, Abraham got the call from God when he was 75 years old to go to the earth, to Ur of the Chaldees. And we understand that he went and he left and he took with him his nephew Lot. And God blessed Abraham, God blessed Lot. To the point they got Abraham's wealth and Lot's wealth. Their flocks had grown so large that they were butting into each other. They were fighting. They were fussing. They couldn't get along. And I said a minute ago Genesis 11, but it's Genesis 13 where I want us to go. Genesis 13. The situation is summed up in verse 6. Genesis 13, verse 6. Now the land was not able to support them that they might dwell together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. The Canaanites, the Perizzites, then dwelt in the land. So Abram said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between us. Don't let your herdsmen, let's get along. We're brothers. He tells Lot, See the whole land before you? If you go one way, I'll go the other way. Verse 10. Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go towards Zoar. Now watch verse 11. Then Lot did what? Chose for himself all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tents as far as Sodom. Notice that this land to Lot, it looked well watered. It looked like Egypt. Can I suggest to you, you may not realize this, but Generally, when you see Egypt mentioned in Scripture, especially the Old Testament, it's bad. Amen. Uh, just like when you see Babylon, it's generally bad. Now, it looked good, but sometimes things that look good can be bad, right? So, like, it, it looks good, it looks well watered, and from a human standpoint, it seems like that would be the right decision. But I think Moses, when he, God through Moses, writing this, he wanted us to see the motive behind Lot's decision. And that wasn't the water, the decision he says he chose for himself. And it's eerily foreboding when you look at verse 12 and he says he pitched his tent as far as Sodom. That's not a good thing. He's living close to Sodom. He's, he's living very near Sodom. He chose for himself. He pitches his tent. 
Now flip over to Genesis 19. Genesis 19. Look at verse 1. Now the two angels who came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. Now that seems to be fairly innocent until you realize that those men who sat in the gate of the city were the elders of the city. They were the government leaders. They were the ones that made decisions in Sodom. So Lot had gone from, a couple of chapters ago, having his tent pitched towards Sodom. Now he is fully involved in Sodom. If we could put that in 2022 20, language, he's an alderman. His wife is probably part of the, of the, the Sodom Neighborhood Welcome Committee. His kids probably go to Sodom High School. They're involved full force with Sodom and everything that's happening in Sodom. You know the story. Because of Locke's decision to choose for himself, when he lived near the world, and that's Sodom. Sodom represents the world. The world rubbed off on him. Can I tell you a little secret? If you want to live a life of faith, and if you want to live for the Lord, if you want to keep your hands clean, keep your hands out of the mess. Keep your hands out of the dirt. Keep your hands out of the grind. Keep your hands out of the world. Lot lost his sense of morality. We can read verses 5 through 9 and I'm not going to get too deep into this. We'll preach this message. About, this is just an illustration. But Lot lost his morality, verses 5 to 9 of 19. He lost most of his family, verse 14, verse 26. He lost his worldly goods and ended up in a cave in verse 30. And then at the end, he ends up in depravity, committing incest with his daughters. I'm not making it up. Read chapter 19. You can find that out for yourself. Y'all, what happens when our priorities get out of whack? When we start choosing for ourselves as God followers, all of this happened because Lot chose for himself and he became a friend of the world. We hear so much today about separation of church and state, and that's a good thing, but something else that needs to be preached just as much is separation from the Christian and the world. The average Christian today looks like, dresses like, talks like, acts like the world. I read this quote this week and I thought it's, it's good. The average Christian wants to be just bad enough to be fun and just good enough to go to heaven. Isn't that right? We want to be bad enough so everybody thinks we're thinks we're cool and we're part of them, but we want to be good enough to go to heaven. Abraham had his priorities right. His motto was, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. He kept his eyes on the Lord. He was not a friend of the world. As a result, for the most part, he kept the main thing the main thing. And he built a life marked by an enduring faith in God. But not only must we have proper priorities. We also, back in Hebrews 11, verse 10, we need a vision. It says, Abraham waited for the city 
which has foundations. A parallel verse is verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. Verse 14, those who say such things declare plainly they're seeking a homeland. In Abraham's mind, Abraham could see where he was going. Now, he couldn't reach out and feel it and touch it and have it come to fruition. But he had a vision. He knew God would lead him there. There was this fellow that went into a psychiatrist's office, and the nurse runs into the psychiatrist and says, Doctor, doctor, there's a man in our waiting room that thinks he's invisible. And the doctor said, well, just tell him we can't see him. <laughs> My question is, can you see the invisible? When they were having the celebration of the opening of Disneyland, Walt Disney had already passed away, and someone mentioned to Walt Disney's widow, they said, don't you wish Walt could have seen this? And his wife said, oh, but he did. Because what they were building was a result of his mind. It's so easy for us as Christians to become earthly minded and lose our focus. We start... Worrying. We start watching the news. We start listening to TV. How everything's going bad and everything's falling apart and everything is just terrible. And if we're not careful, we start focusing on the right now instead of keeping our mind on Jesus. These folks in Hebrews 11, they all had that focus. They could see the invisible. I can't see heaven. I can't touch heaven, but I have faith that one day I'm going to be there. And I can't let myself and you can't let yourself get so caught up in today and what's around us in this world. Many Christians live a life where all they see is what's in front of them, their car, their jobs, whatever. They never catch a vision. They never look onward or upward. God has so much more planned for us than this life we're living now. Now what Satan tries to do, he tries to get us caught up in the chaos. Caught up in the strife, caught up in the fear, caught up in the doubt. Y'all, when I read my Bible, you know what I read? As we come toward end times, there's going to be chaos and confusion and doubt. Everything that's happening today, it makes us think God's not in control. But this tells me, reading God's word tells me, God is totally in control. My problem is my focus. And I'm not saying that what's happening around us isn't important. It is. But we have to keep things in perspective. This world is not my home. I'm just Passing through. My treasures are laid up. Somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Enduring faith comes by having a vision. And setting our affections 
on something bigger than the way most of us are living. Amen? <clears throat> Hebrews 11 gives us a fifth principle. Hebrews 5, verse 11. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead. Understand that if we're going to build a lasting faith, our faith is going to be tested. The only way we know how strong our, test, our faith is is through a test. A faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that can't be trusted. Amen? 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7 tells us that for the Christ follower, a life of faith is not always puppy dogs, rainbows, and unicorns. We're going to have struggles. We're going to have trials. We're going to have temptations. God sent a famine that caused Abraham to go to Egypt. He and Sarah made some terrible mistakes while they were in Egypt. Uh, Abraham should have trusted God and stayed in Canaan. He didn't. He, he went to Egypt. Sometimes our faith has lapses and we end up in Egypt. And do you remember when God first told Abraham and Sarah that through Abraham's seed all the nations of the earth were going to be blessed? Problem was, Sarah was 90 and Abraham was 100. They were too old to have kids, so they decided to help God a little bit. Can I tell you, God doesn't need our help. When they were finally blessed is when you get to verse 11. Sarah bore a child when she was past the age. Why? Because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead. What does that mean? It says he means Abraham is 100 years old. He can't father anything, much less a great nation. He does. Because our God is a God of the impossible. Abraham and Sarah went to Egypt, but praise the Lord, they didn't stay there. They came back to Canaan. God re-enrolled them in the school of faith. And now they are both written in this hall of fame of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. There's one more principle in verse 12. Therefore, from one man and as him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky and multitude innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. If we are going to have an enduring faith, y'all, we need to learn to live in victory. We need to learn to see and enjoy the blessings God has given us. God gave Isaac to Abraham and Sarah. God made a nation, the nation of Israel, from Abraham's seed. God gave Israel the land. Through Abraham, the descendants of the Messiah were born. The Messiah himself was born from the seed of Abraham. Through the Jews, we received the Bible. God kept his blessings to Abraham. And he'll keep his blessings to you and to me. Can I remind you this morning that we live and we worship and we celebrate and we have a faith in a, the God of the impossible? Somebody said, that's impossible. With God, nothing's impossible. If it's God's will, God will make a way. We need to learn to enjoy God's blessings right now. And can I right quick point out verse 15 to you? 
This kind of came to me this week when I was re-studying this. It says, truly if they had called to mind that country from which they'd come out, they would have had opportunity to return. This is a warning to us that if we don't keep ourselves focused on what's coming in the future, we'll want to go back to what's in the past. How many times in our daily Bible reading in the book of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers did the people want to go back to Egypt? They lost their focus on the promised land in the future, and they wanted to go back to the past. If we aren't careful, we can lose our focus and we want to go back to where we were. If we don't keep our mind on where we're going, we'll go back where we came from. We're called out of that. We've been called out of Egypt. And we've been called to Canaan. All of this in the Old Testament is, is symbolic to us as Christians. Egypt is the life of sin. Canaan is heaven. And Everything in between is our journey from Egypt to heaven. Enjoy God's blessings right now. Abraham was a pagan and 75 years old when God called him. Never think you've missed your opportunity. Never think it's too late because it's not. Can I remind you that the life of faith begins with a step of faith. Don't worry about what you're going to do in the future. Don't worry about what you're going to do tomorrow. Because you know what? We might not be here tomorrow. We're not given another day. Now maybe God will bless us and we'll get to eat our fellowship meal before he comes back. Amen? <laughs> but he might not. Don't worry about living a life of faith tomorrow. Live it today, right now, the next step. Whatever it is that you need to do, whatever God's moving you to do, that, that's business between you and God. There's several different people here. We're at several different points in our walk. We all have different next steps. But I can tell you this, until you're obedient to God's call, you'll never have the enduring faith that you would like to have. Let's bow.